Amen. Today's scripture is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Thank you this morning. God bless you all again today. I'd like to welcome my sister-in-law, Alicia, and my nephew, Bryce, to service today. We did have our first youth Sunday school class, and we went over the Bible, the different kinds of Bibles, New King James, King James, and how those Bibles came to be and why they're so different. So I was glad to have both of them in service with us today. I guess the older I get, uh, the more I realize I'm pretty traditional. Uh, meaning to say, I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to be part of this congregation. Uh, from such different backgrounds, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And what got me to say that is because, uh, really, I'm having so much fun every Wednesday night at 6.30 being in the choir. I'm just, I am flat enjoying being in the choir. And I, this might be morbid to say, but if I were to die on Wednesday night sitting in the pew singing a hymn, I know I'd go right to heaven, no questions asked. Because my heart is so full and I'm so joyful. And I can't sing a lick and I'm cool with that. But what, the way I say the word tradition is because I, being a part of a traditional church, a traditional congregation. And as Sugar Hill and Tom's Run came together, which is in the January newsletter, they, they came together, built this building, and formed the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. And so whenever I'm in the choir singing with the people of God, the songs of God, I just, I look at the stained glass windows and I see how much work everybody puts into the church. And I go back to the time of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation and because I was stationed in Germany and I got to go to all those places where they were at. Then I didn't understand what I was doing. I was like, why is this knucklehead dragging me to all these places? But now I'm so appreciative that he done that. And so thank you for letting me be a part. I love being in the choir. And I just, I love singing the hymns. And then when Miss Lee got shooting on that piano the other night and hit the end of it, when the rolls caught up yonder, I was just, I was just about turned Pentecostal in. Just because just it was, uh, I was like, man, you sing that in one of my churches, boy, we're gone. You're going to look around, there's no choir left. But so I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. And I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want to say two things about the sermon this morning. Uh, one is that being a traditional guy, I realize that Adam and Eve both sinned in the garden. I mean, it says that in the Word. But I'm only going to address Adam because Adam was the one who God made first and gave the responsibility to take care of the garden, tend the garden, and name the animals. And it was Adam who had the responsibility to take care of the family. So when I say Adam and not Eve... Please don't get mad at me in the 21st century of, you know, that I didn't mention Eve. I just mentioned it because Adam was the head of the household. He was responsible, and that was his job to do it. The second thing I want to say about this morning's sermon is that when I talk about Genesis 3.21 and the sacrifice that was made for Adam and Eve on their behalf when they sinned in the garden, I'm going to jump from that sacrifice all the way to the sacrifice at the end. I'm not going to go how the sacrifice formed throughout the Old Testament to what we believe today. I'm going to jump from one to the other, and it's going to be a big leap, 
And so I just want you to be aware of that, that I did it on purpose and I did it for a reason. So that if you were to ask me why I did such a thing, you know now up front why I jumped from Genesis 3.21 all the way to the New Testament. Having said that, here we go. Good and evil is a hard subject for Christians to discuss, especially when it comes to the belief in the goodness of God. Why would a good God create evil? He had to create it, right? He's in the heavens. All the angels are worshiping him. Nobody has an evil thought in their mind or in their heart. And yes, evil happened. So why did this good God create evil? Why would a good God allow evil to happen? Not only did it happen maybe in the heavenly realms, but he allowed it to come to earth and he separated it. And he told Adam, you can do anything you want, but don't eat of this tree. When you do that, you're going to be in bad shape. So not only is evil created, but this good God allowed evil to come into the presence of men. Why would a good God allow evil to happen to me? I prayed. I asked God to remove it. I asked God to get me out of it. It still came. God didn't hear my prayer. He could have cared less about what I had to say about this prayer. I prayed that my loved one wouldn't die. I prayed that my loved one wouldn't be sick. They didn't have to go through trials and tribulations. I did all the things I thought I needed to do to talk to this good God to make it right. And he didn't answer me. As a matter of fact, I saw a righteous person die while an evil person prospered. Why would a good God allow that to happen? Yet the Bible has at least 196 verses that affirm the goodness of God. We heard this one this morning in the call to worship. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 17, And he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Moses saw evil firsthand. He separated from his mom at an early age. He goes and he's trained in the royal court of Egypt. He saw his brothers and sisters be whipped and beaten and killed for their faith. They prayed for years and years and years and years for God to deliver them. God said he would deliver them, but it didn't happen in their lifetime. Moses knew about evil. He might have even committed evil when he murdered somebody. Moses knew about evil, and yet Moses affirms the goodness of God. Six times in Genesis chapter 1, this is what Moses says about God. And God saw that it was good. Verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. In verse 31, he says, he writes, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The other times God says it was good. But now in this verse he says it was very good, everything that God created. Everything God created was in harmony with his character and who he is. It was very good. He looked at what he'd done and he said, this is how I want to do it. This is who I am and it's very good. I believe it is in the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden that we find the goodness and missionary nature of God. They go to the garden, God gives Adam a command, he breaks a command, God judges Adam and sends him out. But it is here in this sin that I think God shows who he is and his missionary nature. When Adam sinned in the garden and his eyes were opened, I believe he done three things that highlight the nature of man, who we are, 
after the fall and the goodness and missionary nature of God in reaction to what happened to the men. First of all, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, Adam hid himself from the presence of God. The shame of nakedness caused him to hide. This shame removed him from his customary place of meeting with God. They met every day at a certain place and certain time, and God wanted to meet with Adam, and Adam said, no way. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, Adam tried to fix the problem himself. He sins against God, he turns from God, and now he doesn't want to be around God, so he says, I've got to fix the situation that I'm in. He sewed fig leaves together and made aprons. Maybe, he says, this sacrifice will heal this relationship that I broke with God who wants to meet with me every day. He then ran behind some trees to hide from God. I guess he figured out it wasn't cutting that the fig leaves wasn't going to do it. God wants to meet with him. He says, no way. I'm going to make my own sacrifice to appease this God that I've sinned against. This ain't working, so I'm going to go behind and hide behind these trees. And then he took his wife with him when he went and hid. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Adam does something I thought was very smart. He put the blame on God. He said, the woman that you gave me caused me to do this. He ratted his wife out. Well, what's Eve going to do? I mean, you're talking to the king of glory. Um, she made me do it, O oh Lord. Well, who's Eve going to blame it on? Eve, in turn, blamed it on the serpent. She says, the serpent made me do it. So Adam blames God because God gave him the woman that caused him to do it. Then Eve blamed the serpent because the serpent beguiled her into doing this. These three things Adam's done seems to me to highlight the nature of man. First of all, man is a sinner. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When a man sins, he likes to sin in darkness. John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I know typically when I got drunk, I like doing it at nighttime. And my cousin, when she got mad at me, on the morning time, she liked pulling up the shades. And saying, let all this light come in on you, Brian. I'm like, oh, my head's killing me. I can't see nothing. Everything's going wrong. I didn't mind it in the night. Because that's when you do the bad stuff, right? Most people don't do the bad stuff during the day. They do it at night. But then the light came in, and I said, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But nevertheless, I did it. When man sins, he does it in the darkness. Man also tries to make his own sacrifice to appease whatever is going on in his life. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we were all as an unclean thing, and our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, have taken us away. Man likes to blame others. In John chapter one, 9, verses 1 and 2, Jesus passed by, saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this sin, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? Somebody had to do wrong to put this dude in this bad situation. Who did it? Did his mom sin? 
did his dad sin? Something had to go wrong for this man to be blind. And Jesus said neither one of them sinned, but it was for the work of God. But don't we do that? We always blame somebody else for the mess we're in. And I'm not saying it always ain't true. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we always like to shift the blame. I love to do that at work in the factory. You know, when you know you're in the hot seat, man, and the supervisor's coming to get you. Boy, you better think of something fast. Well, Johnny, actually, he said this, sir. And, then you know, you give him the big old list. And then he'll go to Johnny. And then after Johnny, he'll go to Mary. Because everybody's putting it on somebody else. But you don't care because, whew, he ain't coming back to you. He done went down the line. But we always like to do that. We're always going to blame somebody else for what's going on in our lives. And because of this, I do believe in what's known as a generational curse. A curse handed down from father to son, etc. Just let me give you an example. And men, maybe this has happened to you. But usually a wife or your mom might say, you're just like your dad. And when it's something positive, you know, cool. I am like my dad. But most of the times when they say it, it's because you've done something that wasn't so hot and your dad had done it and you feel a cringe in your back. You're saying, okay, what did I do now? That's so much like my dad. And you know it gets to us, does it not, when they say that because there is truth to it. And you in your own heart, your own mind, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be associated with our part of that. So you're saying, I'm working so hard not to be like my dad in this area. I like being my dad when he used to open up gratis gym and all the boys came to learn how to play basketball. When they say you're like your dad, I'm cool with that. I like coaching basketball. I like teaching the kids and all that. But I don't like it when he makes the kids um, a little upset. Or, you know, he gets, he gets on you about something or he's disagreeable. We're always disagreeing. We're always arguing. And we're, even if I agree with what you're saying, I'm just going to argue with you just to do it. Amy will say, you're just like your dad. My mama say, you're just like your dad. I just did it two weeks ago. And I walked out of the house. I said, I wasn't trying to be like that. I believe that part of it is a generational curse. And it, we just don't want that. So I, I would think, men, as we become fathers, when we see our sons do something in their marital relationship or to their kids, I haven't found the balance out because I'm a new grandparent. But do you just run up to them saying, that's just a knucklehead thing to do. Please don't do that to the grandbaby. Or do you have to sit back and say they're the parent now? Or, you know, I do say don't treat your woman like that. I, your dad will go off on that whether you like it or not. Because I knew how I was and I didn't want him to be like that. And they do get the, the story when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I do believe in that stuff. I do believe in a generational curse. And sometimes that's reflected on our kids. And I know we pray real hard that our kids don't act like us in certain areas of our life. But because of these three things... I believe this is what makes God so good and so missionary-minded in his nature. First thing God done when Adam sinned was he sought out Adam. He fellowshiped with Adam every day. His presence never abandoned Adam. When Adam sinned in the garden, God says, Adam, where are you? Now, he's God. He knows everything. He knows what happened. And he knows Adam was guilty, and he knows Adam felt bad. But God still reached out to him with his loving hand and says, Adam, where are you? Did you not know we were supposed to meet today and have fellowship with one another? God sought him out. 
God sought out Cain after he murdered his brother. Cain, what are you doing, man? The blood of your brother cries up to me here in the heavens. Cain says, your judgment is too strong. I can't handle it. He says, no problem. This is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to be running your whole life. But God still reached down to them and asked them where they were at and what they were doing. God sought out his people through Moses and the law. The people are praying and begging. God tells Abraham, I'm going to put them into captivity for 400 years. And then I'm going to deliver them. And the people pray year after year after year. The man's 90 years old. His wife is 90 years old. They die and they're not delivered. Their children get old. They die and not delivered. And they're wondering, where is this God who said he's going to deliver me? And God says to Moses, it's time for me to deliver my people. He sought his people out and he delivered him just like he said. And it was the law that guided them. And watched over them and protected them as they learned to serve God. God serves out all men. He's always seeking men. In Ezekiel 34, this is what he says. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they've been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. He's speaking now to the children of Israel who once again went into bondage. They went to captivity and they were scattered all over the world. And God had told the prophets, I will come and I will deliver my people when it's time. God is always seeking out man and that includes you and I. He not only seeks out his people that he calls specifically to be a light into the world. He calls out you and me to be in that light as well. John 10 and 16. Other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold in one shepherd. His presence will always be calling on men to come to him. No matter where you're at in life. No matter where your heart is at, no matter where your relationship at with God, he will always call on you. He's always reaching out to your heart, wanting you to come to him. Whether you live the righteous life or whether you stumbled and you fell, he's always calling on you. He's always looking out to you and he's always saying to you, come and come to me. Now, he does it through his word, but how does he do it? I don't know. Have you ever been a believer and maybe he's about to make a bad decision and maybe one of your Christian brothers called you on the phone just to talk? Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it's coincidence. Maybe you come across somebody's path and they just wanted to share with you what God was doing in their lives when you was really down and out. Could be a coincidence. Don't doubt that. Maybe a scripture come to your mind or to your heart when you know you're about to go the wrong way and you felt like you was put in check. This is how God reaches out to you and me no matter where we're at in life. No matter when we turn our backs on him and say, I'm done with you. I can't do it no more. He still reaches out and he calls your name and he says, come and come to me. You can rest assured he will always be calling on you and me all the way until the end. God provided a sacrifice. He made a coat from skin to clothe Adam and Eve. He'd done it himself. He showed them what sacrifice he wanted. This coat pardoned their sin. This coat covered their shame and nakedness. 
This coat protected them from a cruel environment. When they sinned in the garden, the whole earth became corrupt. So they would need something to protect them when the weather got bad or an animal decided to come and attack them. Whatever was going on in their life, in the environment, God provided the coat to help them from that area. This coat that God provided put a dagger between good and evil. This coat represented God's love for his creation. God says to Adam, you made this sacrifice. That's not the sacrifice I asked you to make. So he taught Adam what kind of sacrifice had to be made for Adam to be in right relationship with God. God done it himself. This coat had to come from an animal since animals... uh, The sacrifice was made of skin. Adam, you can't do it your own way. You have to do it my way. We can never do enough work or any good deeds to put us in right relationship with God. It will never work. God made the way. He made the sacrifice. He shows us what the sacrifice is, and that's the way it had to be done. Though this animal sacrifice was part of the Old Testament history, this is where I'm going to make my huge leap now. Christians view it as fulfillment in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3.21, God shows Adam and Eve what the sacrifice is. The sacrifice is made. It's made from skin. We know it had to be an animal. And apparently, we know it had to shed blood. Okay, it had to shed blood. And so God showed Adam what needed to be done. And as you and I read Genesis 3.21 now, I would imagine our first thought was, that's talking about Jesus Christ. We weren't thinking about all the sacrifices throughout the Old Testament. We just look back on it and say, that's talking about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see 321 fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, chapter 19 and 20. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who truly for was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you. What God sacrificed in the book of Genesis, he sacrificed again. And his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God also provided the judgment. He judged Adam. He judged Eve. He judged the serpent. Each one equally guilty of disobedience. Each one equally judged. Adam, you sinned against me? You got to work really hard. Eve, you sinned against me? It's going to be hard having a baby. Serpent, you sinned against me? I'm going to put something between you and me, and you'll never hurt us again. Each one equally disobedient, each one equally judged. In this judgment, I see the very goodness and missionary nature of God. Unless we have a full concept of the fall of man, nothing else matters. Man turned his back on God, and he ruined everybody else. And people don't want to talk about that as man being evil, man being wrong. Because we've grown to a place where every man is good and every man is right. We're evil, we're rotten, we're nasty, we sinned against God. But God made us right. 
But God put us in right fellowship with him. That shows me his goodness and his love and his missionary nature that he reached right out to man to save him from himself. It was a lamb that was stood between a holy God and a sinful man. It was a lamb that would undo all the serpent's evil. It was the lamb that proved the love of God. John 3, 16, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was a lamb that would change man forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It would be the lamb who would point to the goodness of God. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul talking to the Jewish people about God in their lives and how God was going to save man by faith through the ministry of Jesus Christ and how he was going to bring the Gentiles in who were not God's covenant people and he was going to make them all one in him. This is what he says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I'm not a smart dude. Don't know nothing about philosophy. Don't think I want to. Don't know a lot of Hebrew. I know Greek a little bit. I know different versions of the Bible. I guess I know enough to be dangerous. Not in a good way, but to be dangerous. I can't tell you how evil came to be when Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning. I don't understand how evil happened. I don't understand... When God gave Adam the choice, don't put that cat in the garden, dude. And it didn't say it to me. Because if you tell any man, don't do that, he's a knucklehead. He's going to go do it. You could have avoided all that mess. I don't understand why he done that. I don't understand all the things in life why one person gets to live and one person doesn't. There's a lot of things I don't know and I don't understand and I cannot answer. And I'd be lying to you if I gave you a big old thing of maybe or what is. Because that don't cut to the heart. It only makes us have more questions. I just don't know and I don't understand a lot of things when it comes to that. But what I do know is that I have faith. As Hebrew says, I must believe God and I believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe that by faith. And somehow all that stuff that these philosophers talk about and theologians talk, it can get talked about and it's going to get worked out. Cool. But this I do know. At some point, we all live at the level of experience. We have experiences that are good and bad. An experience can lead us to God or turn us from God. I, I believe that. So when I say the man is a sinner in Genesis... And that man fell in the garden and he sinned against God. And in the same breath that God is good and God shows his missionary nature, I will only speak for myself about my experience and you can be the judge of it. I was the one lost and undone. I was the one that turned my back on God. I was the one who forsook him and left him. Even when I became a Christian, I remember telling him in prayer, I'm done with you. Can't take you no more. I don't understand what you're doing. Now, I still went to church. 
I still read my Bible. But my heart, it wasn't there. It just, it just wasn't there. I was afraid if I quit going to church, I'd go to hell because my heart was not so hot. If I quit going to Sunday school, I would go to hell because my heart wasn't right. If I quit doing the things, I did not want to go to hell. But during that time, God still reached out to me. The minute Sunday school class, we're going to go around here and we're going to eat some ribs. You want to go? We're going to talk about God. You want to lead our Bible study? I didn't want to lead their Bible study. I didn't want nothing to do with it. I led the Bible study. For me, it was God's way of keeping me connected with him through the church while I was going through the trial. Now, that might not make no sense to you. I'm cool with that. I'm just saying for me. Somehow it kept me in, and then I had Amy. There was one morning I said, I ain't going to Sunday school today. I just, I'm not doing it. She says, no problem. I'm going to call Danny Reynolds. Don't do that. I'll be there. She had a way to help me hold together. I believe God does that. I really do. I believe that's his grace and that's his mercy and that's his kindness. So I will say for myself that God is good. God is loving. God is kind. And God is gracious. And God is forgiving. All I had to do was say I Got to let go of me and try to do all the things I think are right. And just say, you're my God, you're my Lord, and you're my King. And you work it out even when I don't understand it or know why. Or even when I'm hurting on the inside, you work it out. And in his time, he does work it out. So for me, God is good. And his goodness does lead me to repentance. To say, I'm sorry for acting like that. I'm sorry for saying I wasn't going to follow you or serve you no more. I'm sorry for the things I've done. Please forgive me. I want to do what you want me to do. And that lamb that was slain in Genesis 3.21 that we believe was the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that lamb in symbol once again is here with us this morning. The bread... And the grape juice in symbol serves as the sacrifice that he made for you and me. And in this sacrifice that we're going to celebrate today, I see his goodness, I see his love, and I see his mercy. Do you see that this morning in your own heart, in your own life? Where are you at in your Christian faith? Is your heart totally sold out to him? That you've given him everything and say, you're my Lord, you're my God, and you're my King. I will follow you, I will serve you, and I will love you, and I will love nobody else but you. Or are you in a place where you're struggling in your own heart and in your own mind? Where maybe just the fire, the zeal, it just ain't there no more, man. And you're thinking, what happened to me and my relationship to you? He reaches out to you today. Through the bread and through the cup. And when you come to receive that communion, you say, I'm sorry, man, for what I've done. But I'm thankful for what you've done on my behalf. We repent and we're thankful for what he's done all at the same time. This lamb and symbol is here with us today. And for that, I'm so thankful. 
I wonder if you would mind joining with me in just a short prayer of repentance and thanksgiving before we join in communion together. Heavenly Father, I do come to you this morning in Jesus' name. And I, I, I do ask again for forgiveness. And I, I know you've forgiven me on the cross. My sins are forgiven, but sometimes I can't get over my own guilt. And I ask you, Lord, to once again touch my heart and touch my mind. And Lord, I am thankful that the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And I thank you for him, Lord. And help us, Lord, as believers to uh, turn to you and serve you and follow you. And help us, Lord, not only that, to be kind and loving to one another. We are the body of Christ. And we celebrate not this communion not only as the way it's relating to you, but how we treat one another, how we honor one another and serve one another. And we ask you, Lord, to be glorified in this part of our service as we come to the table today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Mr. Shockey, would you mind going down and getting the children's church? They're back. I'm sorry, they're back up. Thank you. Okay. So before we start the communion part of the service...